Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Sam, I just got a real strong feeling. Carla, watch the bar. <laughs> I mean about this idea that Coach will manage the team. I sense disaster. Oh, come on, what are you talking about? I mean, the guy's home life is a can of SpaghettiOs and reruns of Beretta. This will be good for him. I mean, every guy needs a hobby, right? I wish I had time for one. No. You've got time to make your own coal. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Welcome back to Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and my guest this time to talk about Season 2, Episode 8, making his return visit to Cheers Cast, is Mr. Tim Price. What's up, Tim? Hey, I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you very much for asking. Oh, good. Nobody asks me that. That's that's a shame. Cheers Cast should be a friendly show. We should be we should be doing that. Not just it's not just all about the guest, right? Uh, I need a better class of guests. When they come into the bar, they ask Sam how he's doing once in a while. You know, so that's just that's just only fair. Yeah, sure. The last time you were on the show, you talked a little bit about how and when you started watching the show. But uh, off the mic, you mentioned that you have a Shelley Long story. So, would you mind sharing that story with the group? I would love to share that story because although I know it's like working hard to pull it out of me, I know. No. <laughs> so anyway, um, so this was back in um, – would have been the early 90s when I was living near Washington, D.C. And you know, one of the joys there is kind of being able to hit the, the theater scene going on up there. Well, one of the things that happened was I had an opportunity to go see a play in D.C. and Shelley Long was one of the actors in it. The play was called Love Letters, and it was really a two-person production where it featured um, a man and a woman, and they both would sit at desks with their scripts in front of them, and they would read individual pages from the scripts that were supposed to be letters that these two characters had written to each other over their entire lives. That's the name Love Letters. Um, and it was just a great opportunity to see her. She was in it with Ryan O'Neill, which you might remember was her co-star in the movie Irreconcilable Differences. Okay. I think yeah, that's yeah. right. If I'm if I'm mistaken about that, I apologize. But I'm pretty sure that was the that was kind of the hook was that the two of them had been in that movie together, and that's why they did this play together. So it was just great because if, if you know how Shelley Long is and how how good she is at using her voice, even her facial expressions. I mean, there's not much of a chance for interaction 
between the two characters because the point is that they actually are just reading the letters more or less to the audience. They don't even look at each other until the very last bit in the play, which just is a, just a punch to the guts for you when you realize what's happened in the story. So I'm not going to give any spoilers on what happens in the story, but it was a wonderful production and just such a joy to see. And uh, my best friend at the time and I, we both went to see it together. And the two of us tried to lead a standing ovation for the end of the show, but nobody else took the baits. So that was kind of, that was kind of frustrating. Um, <laughs> but... Because we did that, I very clearly remember Shelley Long looking over and seeing the two of us standing over there and putting her hand to her chest and mouthing a thank you as like, oh, that was just the best. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice little story. It's a nice little story and a great little memory. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I am jealous. I wish I could have something like that with, with one of the cast members. That is, <laughs> no, that's terrific. Yeah. Um, all right, cool, cool. Okay, then uh, changing gears, we are moving on to the episode for tonight, which is Season 2, Episode 8, Manager Coach. Uh, this one is written by Earl Pomerantz, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, November 24th, 1983, which I gotta think, was that Thanksgiving that year? I think that must have been Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, I would think so, Yeah. A friend of Sam's asks him to coach a youth league baseball team. Sam passes on the gig, but Coach takes him up on it, excited at the prospect of reliving his old coaching glory. Diane is the only one with misgivings about it, worried that the pressure from the player's parents will hurt Coach. Instead, Coach's competitiveness turns him into a slave driver who leads the kids to an undefeated season, but at the cost of spoiling any enjoyment for the game they might have. Sam and Diane try to convince Coach to dial back, but it's only when the whole team comes to cheers to tell him they quit that Coach reevaluates the type of leader he has been. He tells them the story of a school teacher who tormented him and realizes he doesn't want the kids on his team to grow up hating the coach the way he hated his old teacher. He promises them that from this point on, the whole point of the game will be to have fun. And that was Manager Coach. So, uh, Tim, I think actually maybe this was the first episode that I asked you to be on uh, before <laughs> I even brought up being on episode two. Uh, what did you think of this, Owen? Yep, you're right. This was the first one that you uh, floated by me, which I was very glad to do because I love me some coach. I've said that plenty of times is that he is – I don't like playing favorites in terms of characters. I'm really bad at it. I'm really bad at ranking characters or even – and books and movies. I, I'm terrible at it You know, because I, I was, I was, obviously I was born to have twin daughters because I love you both in very different ways. <laughs> so it's the same thing with characters and movies and all those things too. I was like, I, I can love all of you, but I, I just can't choose between you. However, I have an internal soft spot for Coach. So to have a, an episode focused on him was just fantastic. And kind of like the episode two, where we get to see Rhea Perlman kind of play two different characters. Here we get it's still coach, but Nick Colasanto just has to kind of bring out this completely different side of coach we've never seen before and just play it for all it's worth. So it's almost like he's becoming a different person. In fact, Diane even jokes about that. And, and she'll even say, and it's a person I dislike very intensely. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, 
So this this episode comes along, and it, instead of it having Coach giving his normal clueless sort of jokes, you have the nasty coach, nasty manager. I'll, uh, that's almost like his personality is this manager personality, where you can just see Colasanto's posture change. He's pushing his shoulders forward and his head forward aggressively. He's barking every time he tries to talk to the to people. Is just a, a really fascinating change to see in the character it's still it's still you can buy it as coach but this is just not the coach that we that we know and some and it's very very wrong but this episode just has like all the things you want to see from from cheers also lots of great one-liners um other good bits and and side things happening at the same time this one is actually pretty high in terms of me in term for being memorable it's a very memorable episode just because of the surprise of seeing this kind of story and this kind of uh of portrayal of coach that we just normally don't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt us because I had this train of thought and it just I completely came to a screeching halt because of something that I sort of remembered from years ago. Hmm. So you you brought up like how coach's posture and everything seems to be different. I think part of that is informed by the costume because throughout most of this episode he's wearing the uniform of like the man of the the coach for this little league baseball team. Mm-hmm. This is something that I have always been curious about, is baseball coaches and managers wear the uniform of the team, of the same uniform as the players. Yes, they do. And I think that's the only sport, that's the only professional sport where they do that. Mm-hmm. You don't see football right. coaches wearing the team uniform. You don't see basketball coaches wearing a tank top and shorts. They're wearing suits. <laughs> same thing like like soccer. Like, And I've always been curious about why baseball is different. Why do baseball coaches and managers wear the uniform? Is it a solidarity thing? Is it because they might have to actually like was there like a long like a hundred years ago was it in the rules that they could actually substitute themselves in as players? I don't know. I tried to ask a high school baseball coach this question one time a few years ago, and he got really defensive. I don't oh know why. Oh I don't my. know if something about the tone of my <laughs> something about the tone of my question. If he thought I was making fun of him for wearing the uniform, I was like, no, 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 no. I just want to know why do you wear the uniform and the basketball coaches don't and everything. And I couldn't get an answer from this guy. He just mm-hmm. he thought like he got really defensive, and I was like, oh, okay. So I have never known. So. I don't know if you have any answer or if anybody listening to this podcast knows if you have some experience with baseball in particular or coaching, why do baseball coaches and managers and why are they wearing the uniform and the spikes and everything, whereas a basketball coach is wearing a suit and tie or a football coach is usually wearing like a windbreaker or a hoodie or something like that? Right. Yeah, I do not have an answer to that, although it is – it's just one of those things that – it's even been remarked upon enough by comedians and other sources in the media that I do wonder if perhaps it's turned into a, so- a sore spot for the baseball coaches and managers now. They just know it's defensive right away because they're anticipating it turning into trying to make fun of them. So we might never know. We might never be able to find an answer to that question <laughs> because the people who would know won't want to tell us. Um, <laughs> I do think it's funny to see that, though, in the context of this Little League team, because I did play Little League baseball when I was when I was a kid. In fact, like that was that was definitely a thing. My dad was 
big into watching sports. He was a mathematician, so he was really also way into the statistics behind the sports too. He just measure, he just would me- memorize the sports page every day. So that was just incredible. But you know, growing up in the Chicago area, I got in love with the Chicago Cubs that way, and I'm still a Cubs fan today. So for that very reason. Um, but when I played little league baseball for a couple years, and no, I was no good. I was no good at it. I just loved playing, but I was no good at it. Those those coach the parents and of and who would be the coaches for those teams, oh, they did not wear the baseball uniform that the that the kids wore. That was definitely not a thing for Little League. I don't know if that's changed or if that's just depends upon where you do Little League, but it's like, no, nah, they just don't they, they definitely don't wear it at, at that age. Um that to my, to my knowledge. Um so, but that's that's just one of those. It is definitely one of those things that just is is probably just more of a tradition by now. It's yeah. just more of a tradition that they that they uh, wear the same uniform, and you know the tradition is kind of just taking on a life of its own. So that the start of it is lost to history, but but by gosh, nobody's going to change it. <laughs> and that's kind of the charm. I think that's kind of the charm of baseball is that the coaches do, and that the, that they're even more part of the team that way. They're not just they're not the standoff leaders. But although it would be crazy to see the the football coaches wearing the helmet and shoulder pads, it's like that's no, <laughs> no, that's not going to work. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm imagining Bill Belichick in that position. <laughs> like um, all right, so getting into the episode, so we start off with a teaser again, completely isolated, but it's a nice. It's you know kind of picks up from the the last time that you were on the show because mm-hmm. Carla is at the barn. She gets a call from the babysitter that her new daughter, Lucia, is not sleeping, so Carla has to sing her a lullaby and she, you know, she does like a little high voice you know, give the phone to mama and she like does this whole thing and she starts singing this Tura Lura Lura this Irish lullaby um, which I will admit that I have you know sung the same lullaby to my kid um, because I, oh, you know, I'd oh. never heard of it before Cheers, but that, that, that was like my whole <laughs> my whole uh, uh, context for it, but I, I sing with her. And the cute thing is that as she's singing along, Norm starts to sing with her, and as soon as he does, Sam and Diane and Coach and Cliff and the whole bar gets around yes. and starts doing this lullaby into the phone to help her little daughter go to sleep. And then <laughs> the, the capper is, she's like, she's asleep! And the whole bar just erupts, yeah, we did success! And like, Carla throws the phone up, she's so shocked. And we just <laughs> Imagine the baby waking up screaming on the other end. A wonderful little isolated setup teaser. Oh, yes. And Carla giving the, yeah, thanks, thanks, everybody, which is, <laughs> if, if the baby was awake, is definitely sarcastic. If the baby is still asleep, it's like, okay, yeah, thanks, everybody. Yeah, go, go on. <laughs> but, yeah, that was a great little bit. Uh, yeah, Norm starting it was also just so rich because he's not who you expected if anybody to jump in. He's not who you really expected, but he does it so sweetly, and then they all join. And of course, we get a treat of listening to uh, Shelley Long go into harmony with, with her voice at the very end of that too, which is, of course, a treat. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, did I mention that I like Shelley Long? Have I mentioned that before? I, I'm, I probably should uh, be not so uh, close-lipped about that. I don't think it's come up. I don't think so. <laughs> so. So before getting into the meat of it, which is all of Coach's plot, like there is this little subplot uh, in the show where Cliff comes in. He says he has gotten a raise. Um, he feels bad that Norm has been out of work and all the stuff going on with Norm. So he kind of says, he's like, I know you're a man of pride. I know what your answer is going to be, but would you mind accepting a loan of $500? And much to Cliffy's surprise, Norm is like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, can I have it right now? Can I have it in cash? Right. <laughs> and 
you see Cliff have to like backpedal through a couple of scenes where he's like, "Okay, I'll loan you the money, but you, I, you, we need to go through like a loan application process and everything." And and eventually, like it's it's a nice little thing where they take him upstairs to to the to Melville's to kind of buy him buy him dinner or something. Oh yeah, that whole bit was a fun little bit there. It's like we have things like um, Cliff saying, "Yeah, yeah, we're the kind of friends who know what the other's going to say before they says it." I was wrong this time. <laughs> <laughs> And then when he does give Norm the money, it's like, I really should get something nice for Vera. And Cliff says, how about a candlelit dinner for two? It's a great idea. Let's go. We can talk about Vera up there. <laughs> and then they both go up to dinner themselves rather than, rather than take Vera to dinner. No, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's another callback to episode two. That's You didn't plan that, did you? Uh, you, is that, you did. You did, didn't that's, you? I, that is just uh, synchronicity or, or synergy or whatever it is. Just... Uh, serendipity. serendipity. That's what I like for that. <laughs> yeah. So then looking at um, into the main plot, we start with uh, this uh, first guest actor coming in. He's a friend of Sam's. His name is Mort Sherwin. He is played by the actor Herb Mitchell. Uh, this guy has been in a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. He appeared in Knight Rider. He was in the A-Team. He was in the final episode of MASH Whoa. for Rob Kelly. Uh, he was credited as the first MP. And he also played a Supreme Court justice on one of my favorite episodes of The West Wing. Oh, nice. Uh, so the guy's been around. He's been in a ton of stuff. Comes in, tells Sam that, you know, he needs a, a new coach for this Little League team. It's a really great team. They need prospects. And Sam passes on it because, he, as, as Sam says, I spend all my free uh, – he spent all my time trying to keep this bar on its feet and all of my free time trying to get Diane off of hers. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, it – doesn't quite cross the line, but it's one of those one of the one of the lines from Sam in this period that's like, yeah, that's that's from the that's uh, from the eighties, that's from the time period, but it's like, <laughs> it's a little little much nowadays, right? So, coach volunteers and everybody thinks it's a great job. You know, they kind of uh, everybody thinks it's a great idea. They kind of rush him, and he goes off with this guy to to meet the team. And only Diane, you know, she tries to get Sam's attention. She tries to stall this before it even, like, gets off its feet. And Sam is like, no, 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 don't, don't ignore it. He's brushing her off. He's like, he doesn't want her interference with this idea. Mm-hmm. And after the coach leaves, she has this moment. She's like, Sam, I just had this really strong feeling, as she says very nervously. And Sam, just missing the cue, is like, Carla, watch the bar. And he's going to yeah. take her into the office. <laughs> but, so, and it's... That is one of the things where, like, I, I think there was some there was some fear from like the writers and from the audience of when you get Sam and Diane together, are you going to lose the magic of that type of thing? But like, right, right. you couldn't have that scene in that moment without them as a couple. And I think it's totally wonderful. Like, mm-hmm. she's like she, obviously she's worried, but she's just like Sam. I got this really strong feeling. He's like, Carlo, watch the bar because he's thinking of sex, and he's just like not even going to like not even going to put it off until later. He's like, hey, she's ready to go. So we, we all know that Sam has a one track mind. Mm-hmm. But it's like, boy, and in, in this season, when she and when he and Diane are dating, dating being a very you know kind word for it, uh, it, it really comes out very strongly every chance they get. In fact, it's like this is even like a callback to like the first episode of this season, where you know Diane says, "I changed my mind," and when they're when they're in his office, I changed my mind, and he just starts throwing the cushions off of the off of the sofa in the <laughs> yes. office. It's like, no, 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 that's not what he meant. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so we so we continue to get little things like that, and but this is also a little 
these two little bits here with, with Sam and Diane are kind of a hint that there's actually going to be a little friction in that front in this episode. We're going to mm. see some more things not go Sam's way in a little bit. I think he's going to – he gets a little comeuppance fairly soon. So <laughs> it's good setup. Right. Good setup there's another moment which is kind of like, uh, okay, and it's when – Carla has the baby at the bar, and she'd previously asked Sam about breastfeeding, and mm-hmm. she's going to breastfeed Lucia, like, right at one of the tables in front, and the guys in sort of tif- typical male, you know, of the era fashion mm-hmm. are horrified. They're disgusted. Norm Cliff and, and Paul, oh, yeah. the other one, they're all like, hey, whoa, what are you doing? You can't, like, get it. We don't want to <laughs> see that. So she takes the baby into the office to breastfeed, and as soon as she's gone, Alan, one of the other guys, is like, hey, have you seen the new, like, you know, Playmate model? And he's, like, holding up a Playboy centerfield, and they all go to ogle some woman on that. And it's kind of like, uh, okay, well, yeah, the whole thing with breastfeeding in public, yeah. and uh, this is definitely something else where ideas have changed. Um, not for everybody, but I, I do think, like, this, this scene would probably not exist today. Uh, or, or it would have been handled much, much differently. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. But the whole thing with uh, the breastfeeding little subplot is it's it's hard to call it a plot. It's just more like a couple of bits. So it's kind of it's just it's a fun little thing to mix things up in the in the episode. But we do get great things. I, I this is well, actually this one this actually is not so bad. When Carla first asks Sam about this, she approaches him and says like, "What are your thoughts on breastfeeding?" And Sam says. Uh, as I recall, I liked it. So, <laughs> that's which that's that's pretty that 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 one is like actually not very. I thought I thought that was just charming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a charming little joke there. We get other bits with that, like um, where the baby basket is there in the bar, and Norm and Cliff are both making you know goo goo gaga sounds to the to the basket. And we think the baby's in there until Carla comes walking back from the pool room carrying the baby. <laughs> yeah, there's just a stuffed just... animal in the thing, and they're like kind of embarrassed and trying. They're like, yes. we were just making goo-goo eyes at a, at a stuffed duck or something like that. And Cliff plays it off. He's like, no, we kept it quiet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which was just a great bit. I, I did, that was, that was a, a great way to save face and also right in line with – a cliff line. That's how Cliff really he's always trying to save face. We know that that happens more and more as the seasons go on. So that was just a, a, a good example of that. Another callback to your previous appearance and God, that feels like, you know, it was um, six weeks ago and not, you know, 20 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned the the third kind of barfly, that Paul character and how he had this sort mm-hmm. of antagonistic thing with Cliff. And I mentioned he wasn't long for the show. This episode is the last appearance of, you know, Paul, that Paul character played by Paul Vaughn. Oh, you know, he was, wow. he appeared like sporadically in the first season. I, gosh, I wonder if he, he had like maybe 15 appearances total. I need to double check that, but this is the last one. This is the last time we see him. Oh, wow. That, that's pretty wild. Not that he had a whole lot to do in this episode either, except to be the other one kind of complaining about Carla's breastfeeding. Whatever happened to modesty? It's like uh, <laughs> you really got to, you really have to accentuate the, the Boston, the Boston accent to say the modesty just right. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty great, but yeah, it's a uh, so it's it's too it's too bad that he about that because he was really he was a perfectly fine actor and he he did it he was doing a good job with the with the Boston accent and and seemed like one of the one of the fun characters. He always delivered his his lines well. He was always funny, so it's a shame. But the other Paul that gets the name Paul. Um, Obviously, he becomes just such a, a staple as his appearances increase. Um, 
I, uh, I can, I can, I'm fine with the switch. I'm fine with the change in the, in the end. I agree. Plus the visual of that Paul alongside Cliff and Norm by the final seasons, the last couple, they're all closer to the same body type. Uh, so, mm. yeah. <laughs> Which was probably not an intended evolution. <laughs> you know what? 10 years of just sitting down and drinking near beer or whatever, even if it is not the real thing, that's, that's gotta, you know, impact your, your workout routine and your, Oh yeah. <laughs> bringing it into the, the main kind of crux of the episode, which are the scenes with coach and his players, the kids. Mm-hmm. And first we get the scene where he introduces them and he goes through the whole lineup of all of their nicknames. And they're like, what have you been working on so far? He's like, just their nicknames. That's all we know about so far. <laughs> so, Three of the kids on the team actually are credited and, and because they have uh, more dialogue than any. Mm-hmm. And one of them, the kid Moose, is played by none other than Corey Feldman. Oh, yes. The Corey Feldman from The Lost Boys and Goonies and ah, everything. Just mm-hmm. whew, it's, it's one of those things where he walks in it's like, oh, that guy. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, I recognized him right away from from, and I, this probably might have been the might have been the first place I'd seen him, but yeah, he's really easy to recognize after after you've seen him one time, he's a pretty easy to pick out character actor. So yeah, this was that was just it's great to see him in such a young, so young, such a young role. Oh my gosh, and still just so funny. Another one of the kids on the team is credited as Pee Wee. He's played by Elliot Scott. Uh, and then the third one, a black kid they call Tank, is played by Martin Davis. He was in Menace to Society and a bunch of other stuff. Um, he has one of my favorite lines in the whole episode, and I'll save that for later when we get towards the end. Um, so, yeah, like the, the team is really good. And it's, it's our first little hint that things are not going well is when one of the kids, Specs, tries to, like, you know, goose Diane when she's saying hi to them and everything. <laughs> and the coach is like, Diane, don't worry. I've got a way. I've got a way of handling this. And he just berates the kid and kicks them off the team and everything like that. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Aren't you being a little harsh on the kid? He's like, no. The kid sucks. You know, he can't see anything. The only thing he, the only thing he's got in his hand on all season is Diane's keister. <laughs> Oh yeah, that that whole bit was just great. I mean, the other thing about that that I was that I noticed on this rewatch is that Diane is giving this little mini speech about coaching and working with children, uh, and 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 starts on to this. We teach them, but they leave their impression on us. Whoa! <laughs> and I'd like leave their imp- so that that line right there, that impression on us. They did, you know, the writers. Hats off to the writers for slipping that in right there. <laughs> we know what impression was left on Diane right all of a sudden. Like, jeez. <laughs> and and what does Diane say? She calls him deviant. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now, Diane talking about um, recognizing obsession. And she goes into this whole thing about, look how, uh, look how I have my, my apron. Once upon once, I would have had to had pencil, pen, pencil, 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 pen, pad. But now it could be pen, pencil, pen, pencil, pad, or pen, pen, pencil, pencil, pad. And then she looks down. And she's like, oh, "But I can't have this pad, pen, pen, pencil, pencil." That's just that's just irritating. Uh, <laughs> and 
And Cliff just walks up to Sam and without saying a word, puts his hand on Sam's shoulder. <laughs> that is almost my favorite moment of the episode is just the way the guys respond to it when like Sam is just like, oh my God. And Cliffy just, this, this, like this tap of support. He's like, I'm sorry that this is what you have to deal with. Like, and, mm-hmm. you're, and you're like, I'm sorry, you have to deal with this woman. And it's just like this show of support, just like brushing up his shoulder and everything. Yes. It's, it's such a wonderful <laughs> little moment. So understated, but it's great. Yeah. Well, in the, in the office itself, they have um, a coach talking to himself, saying things that, you know, if you know sports ball, makes sense. Like, says, no, I'll save my left-hander for Saturday. What am I thinking about? I don't have a left-hander. So <laughs> it's like – like, and then the simple things like Sam saying, coach, take a breath. Now, coach, you – coach, let it out. <laughs> Poof. It's <laughs> – it's like, oh, coach is just so high strung in the in this whole episode, uh, in in this in this whole scene. He's so high strung, like culminating in the fact that Carla has to burp him at the end of the scene, like after she's burped her own baby. <laughs> that's, that's the only way that's going to relieve the tension and the gas that's built up in him. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have a so they're, as they're talking about the coaching, the whole deal of being the manager, and coach is saying, when the parents see me, they cheer for me, Sam. They cheer, and Sam's like. Really? Wow. And you can see that that Sam's feeling almost jealous that he never really got that, even though we, we've all heard the, the stories of him as Mayday. And they talk about it like there's he has plenty of fans in the bar. The bar definitely is his fans. But did he really get cheered on the field? Did the, the, the was was the crowd ever really, you know, encouraging of him whenever he came out? Maybe not as much. So he he can definitely see the he can see why coach would want to capture that kind of glory because they he remember they know what the what the all stars are like on the teams those guys that you know and like the Daryl Strawberries of the time would have been the ones they would be thinking of um, so it's just a chance to recapture that you can see that and that, that's that's what coach is being sucked into he he's just doing it in a very nasty way he's put he's just pushing for all he can to get that which is really an interesting little insight into. Um, their pers- into his personality and even Sam's. Yeah. But we do see the cost of his behavior because the kids come back, they storm in there, and Sam has some kind of, I don't even remember what he's like, hey, kids, like, it's like, how's this season? And one of them was like, are you on the sauce again? Are you drinking? <laughs> they're like, we're miserable. We've come to quit, and they're like, basically, like, this open mutiny against the coach. And he comes, he comes out and he, you know, tells him he's like, "Fine, your quitters get out." And after they like kind of go through the whole, th- and again, I'm going to save some of the best lines of this because mm-hmm. uh, they come up later. Right. But he he says he's going to kick them out, but then he doesn't. He makes them come back to the bar, and he's like, uh, he's going to tell them a story to kind of get their attention, and he, but he doesn't know what story to tell them. And with a little prompting from Sam and Diane, they're like, "Tell them a story about this really mean guy." And like it's great because we've we've seen this transformation in coach and we've seen like him we've seen him over the seasons be just very simple and very mm-hmm. funny and sweet and earnest but just really dumb mm-hmm. and in this episode we've just seen him be kind of a cruel and obsessive and and hyper focused on getting what he wants at the expense of these poor kids and now we just have this wonderful moment where he does this monologue and talks about the story from his youth where he had this horrible teacher that made him say the Pledge of Allegiance in front of the whole school, but he blanked and he couldn't think of it even though he really rehearsed it. And the teacher wouldn't let him leave the stage until he was done and everybody was watching him and waiting for him and then laughing at him and everything. And he says, you know, it was maybe the most, maybe the worst day of my entire life. 
And then he, it's just like the silence kind of like hangs, and he's like, I don't know why I told you that story. He, he doesn't know. He's like, what is the point? What, why was I getting into this? And they have to kind of remind him. It's like, you don't want these kids hating you the way you hated Mr. Spiders. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, that's why it's, it's again, a, it's a, a testament to what Nikki Calisano could do, just how... how the, the range that he goes in this episode from being mm-hmm. so sweet and humble at the beginning to nasty and venomous at this point to just being kind of like vulnerable and just and showing them like a, this pain from his childhood and realizing what he has done to mm-hmm. these kids it's oh it's just a, it's a, just a great performance I might be showing my hand a little bit for our employee of the week but yeah well I hope I hope I don't step on any of your your lines there but yeah I that scene that, of course this scene was the most important one the whole episode but yeah we have when coach comes out to confront the team and he's just shouting at them go ahead and quit I'll go it alone go on quit it's like how are you going to <laughs> play a little league baseball games without the team you're going to go it alone what it, it he's so lost in the competitiveness so diane's fear of how pushy the parents are he's become that times a thousand so <laughs> it's a, it was no fear of that at all anymore um but then that whole th- after after he tells the pledge of allegiance story and there's sam's trying to help him get to the point of the of the story it's like and the point coach is you did learn the pledge of allegiance no sam i never learned it but you respected Mr. Spires for trying to help you. No, I hated his gut, Sam. But looking back on it now, you respect him. No, Sam, he died, and I was glad he died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love that Spires so much. Like, just the matter of fact is that I no, he died, and I was glad he died. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but and then coach turning around is like nobody's going to turn me into a Mr. Spires. Every game we play, any game we play, everybody plays, even the lousy ones like you, Pee Wee. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like no more two a day practices. You'll be lucky if you get two a week. It's like okay, okay that's quite a shift. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, but they had they give a nice little capper to it with uh, afterwards when the kids are all getting sodas from Carlo behind the bar and and coach says they're all on me and so he's which is great you know that's 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 getting that'll win the kids over no problem but then so Diane Sam and coach are just talking together and Diane's like well actually first off coach takes Diane really close up and says Diane if we lose tomorrow it's your butt <laughs> <laughs> which is which is just so it's so funny but it's also so sweet because you just you you just feel like there's a good feeling of affection between them right there, and that sh- in spite of him possibly losing games, coaches is, is glad that Diane pushed him to do that. So that's just so great. And then of course we have to have the the, la- the final stinger where Diane goes on, starts going on and on and on as she does, and then Sam points out uh, your pads upside down. Ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going back to her obsessive, her own obsessive compulsive behavior with the, the apron. Exactly. That uh, it is an it's a it's a pretty good moment to end on that episode. Like I don't have a problem with, but this was one where I kind of felt like the episode could have ended a few seconds earlier. I think it could have ended on the moment when Coach 
takes Diane with like his hands on her face and just says, if we lose tomorrow, it's your butt. I felt like that could have been the end of the episode. That was a joke. <laughs> um, but they do drag it out a little bit longer, and Diane is really just kind of like babbling, and that's when they just kind of make the joke, like where they draw attention to her, her the disorganization of her apron, and she loses it. I'm like, okay, it's nice that you acknowledge that moment from earlier to kind of give that a little bit more weight, but... I'm like ah, I think it, I think he could have ended it on the bigger on the bigger laugh a few seconds earlier. Mm-hmm. I could see that. I go either I could go either way because of course I know I I don't get an I can't get enough of uh, Diane moments. Those are always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I do like Shelley Long. Have I mentioned that I like Shelley Long? I don't think I mentioned that enough recently. No. I can I can. That's another call. That's another callback. <laughs> that's another callback to earlier. <laughs> do you have anything else for this episode? Uh, I think that's everything I had. Okay, cool. All right, then getting into the other categories. For Norm's tab on this episode, um, I counted him as having a modest five beers for this one, which brings him up to 152 beers for the series so far. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, Norm. Oh, no. Boy, well, we know we know that where that money that Cliff loaned him is going to go towards. We know <laughs> he definitely needs it for that. Oh, my goodness. Um, OK, who was your employee of the week for this episode? OK, well, uh, it's 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 coached, obviously. I just have to have to give it to him because, you know, first off, you know, Nick is. Uh, gave a, a stellar performance on sh- showing coaches incredible obsession on winning and, and, and redeeming glory from the baseball days, but, and also seeing him pull himself back at the very end. And while he still uses his manager voice with his team, we see the cracks and see that, yes, now he's back to, he's the coach that we, that we all know and love. So I have to give it to coach. How about you? Same, same for the same reasons. Uh, yeah, this was much earned. I mean, Coach, for a long time, is like one of those like uh, he he's like the runner up in the the favorite episode just because everything he says is funny. But it's nice to get a real a real like spotlight on how how good he is and in, in his range and what he can do. And yeah, Nikki Calasanto just nailed this one, and it was great. And like the moments that from his screaming and berating the kids to you know telling them the story and his the dawning realization of what it meant. At the end, it's, it's really cool. It's a good little shout out for him. For the the home run, which is the funniest gag or you know most dramatic moment or how however you want to define like the episode highlights, um, I do have a couple of them. One one of them you already mentioned was that little progression of dialogue between Sam and Coach, which <laughs> ends with him saying, "No, he died, and I was glad he died." I, I love that one. Um, but but the my other favorite part of this, and again, like we we've talked about this before, is how generous the writers on the show could be with giving some truly funny and hilarious moments to some of the guest actors. This mm-hmm. one, I think my favorite part of the episode might have come from one of the kids on the team. It was when they storm in and they're about to quit and they're they're yelling at uh, Sam and Diane about how angry they are and the kid, Tank, says I can't sleep, my pets hate me, I'm starting to smoke again. <laughs> seeing, seeing that come from a kid who looks like he's like 11 or 12 years old is just so good. Uh. Absolutely. Actually, not to this. This might be scary because we've had way too many of the same home runs and employee of the weeks and things. Because it's like, yes, that that moment, that line from Tank is my favorite as well. It just, it's just hilarious. At the, even the mere thought of like, I'm starting to smoke 
again from <laughs> like a 10 or 11 year old just the again part just <laughs> it, it, it just cracks it you, you start to laugh and then you think about the and then the again and then hearing the, him say again and just start to go all over and you start laughing again so it's just too funny oh but yeah i also have to my, my honorable mention is definitely to diane's pen pencil pen pencil pad <laughs> yeah. Pencil pen, pencil pen, pad. and and she's just able to roll those things off there. I'm just trying, just trying to say that even a couple times, it turns into a tongue twister really quickly, and blah 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 blah. And so, but she delivered it so cleanly and so funny. Uh, and of course, and, and the icing on the cake is Cliff's sympathy for Sam right at the end there. So that, just, that little moment, that beat, that gesture is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's another episode that doesn't necessarily feel crucial or essential viewing for the series but it's it's just it's got some wonderful little endearing moments some real funny moments and because you know that coach's time on the show is limited um and he he played pretty much like one role but like in a couple of seasons like every, he he does get a few moments to shine and when he does it's wonderful so i always like to accentuate every time he kind of like takes takes the lead of an episode because he might find something really magical and he was so good at that yeah i i'll have to apologize for agreeing with you too much on the episode tonight but yeah with um i i couldn't agree more with the fact that as i said i have such affection for for coach and and the when when we lost him, I was really broken up about it. It was really a sad time for me. I was I was very un, unhappy about it. It's also was very also really kind of bizarre to me that you know the parallels in my real life. And I'm not gonna I don't don't want to bring it down, but yeah, my father did pass away in 1983. So it was really close to the same sort of time frame as when when Cheers started, and you know not long afterwards is when Nick Colasanto passed away. So it's it's. I was it was a sensitive time for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, losing him and made him just have of course even more affection for him. So now, you know, long afterwards, I was able to even more appreciate how talented his he was as an actor in this show and how much he brought how much he brought to his performances. Um, hearing the other cast members talk about him in like the two hundredth anniversary episode um, was also a great joy to get a chance to get a sense of that their their respect for him as a professional um so yeah i while i would agree that in terms of story it's not an essential viewing uh of cheers i would 100 percent say that in terms of the characters and getting a feel for the characters that made up the show it, you have to see this episode it's it gives you all sorts of insights and gives you a chance to see a reflection of of coach and a stellar performance by Nick Colasanto. So I get, you know, two big thumbs up from me. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Tim, thank you once again for being my guest on Cheers Cast. Where else can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Let's see. I was on another episode of Cheers Cast, so they can hear me about me there. <laughs> but also uh, you can find me on twitter at tim price 17 look on for me on facebook as tim price because again there can't be too many of those um i was on 
an episode of the JLI Blahaha podcast right here on the Fire and Water Network. We have with Shag discussing the uh, late 1980s series Mr. Miracle, written by J.M.D. Mateus, which was a great fun episode to do. And I also was on an episode with you, as we said before, um, right here on the network for a Find Your Joy spotlighting Captain Marvel. And yes, it's, it's, no, it's not that Captain Marvel. It's not that Captain Marvel. It's the Monica Rambeau Captain Marvel and discussing the movies. And we had a great time talking about it with you there. And I also would just like to take this moment to thank you for having me on the show again, Ryan, because I, as you know, I'm a big fan of Cheers and I've really enjoyed the podcast here. It's been a great way to revisit the series that I love so much. So thank you so much for doing it and thank you for having me on it. No, absolutely happy to do it. Uh, and I've loved that uh, you've been very, very uh, generous in leaving feedback on just about every episode. And that is always appreciated. And I, I like to reward the, the fans and the listeners who make that extra effort because I, I know that that can be tough sometimes. So uh, yeah, uh, Tim, thank you again for being on Cheerscast. Listeners, thank you for tuning into the show. You can support us on Facebook and Twitter. Please leave a comment on the website post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Please, if you don't mind, head over to iTunes and leave us a nice five-star review. That would be great, and it would help more people find Cheerscast. Uh, it's always great to hear from you guys, and uh, until next time, we're closed. Listen, when I was a kid in school, just about your age, I had this teacher, a real mean guy, a guy named Mr. Spires. He always wanted me to learn the Pledge of Allegiance. And one day in assembly hall, he had me say it in front of the whole school. I'd stayed up the whole night before trying to learn it. But when I got up on that stage, I drew a complete blank. I was lost. And this Mr. Spires guy says, nobody in this auditorium is going to leave until Pantuso remembers. I stood there and it, it seemed like forever with everybody laughing at me. It was probably the worst day of my life. And, and the point, Coach, is that, that you finally did learn the Pledge of Allegiance. No, Sam, I never learned it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you respected Mr. Spires for trying to help him. No, I hated his guts, Sam. But, but looking back on it now, you respect him for it. No, no, he died and I was glad he died. <laughs> Thank you, Coach. I'm sure the guys enjoyed that inspiring story. <laughs> I guess I must have said the wrong story. Oh, I, I, I don't know. No, Coach, you told the right story. Well, why did I say it? Because you don't want these guys to leave here hating you like you hated Mr. Spires. Holy mackerel.